We've been uh, reading and thinking about uh, the most important talk given in human history. Um, it's actually quite a sobering thing for me to do this because I give talks all the time. I've, I've given well over 200 now um, of these uh, Bible talks and uh, some of them to uh, more people and some of them to fewer. And it's actually quite... Um, sobering to come up against the talk which has changed the course of human history. There aren't many talks that change the course of human history, and this one has. And it's a a message in which Jesus describes how God wants people to live. I think one of the reasons why it's, there are lots of reasons why it's been so influential, but one of the big ones is it's basically true. It accords with everything we sense about the way God wants us to live, and it is in fact how God wants us to live. He's described a life that is humble, that knows that naturally we don't do what's right and that we need God's mercy and love. He's described a life that loves what is good and resists what is bad, a life that is totally committed in its relationships, a life that says the truth always, that has integrity, a life that is faithful, forgiving, caring, refuses to retaliate, returns love when it's uh, harmed with evil, looks to help other people, refuses to judge, and yet is wise with everyone. I mean, it's an amazing description of what human life should be like. And yet, that very kind of elevated sense that the, the, the talk has, that sense that Jesus is describing something perfect, makes it quite hard to relate to. I think, for me, when I read it through, when I read this talk through as we have been, I come up against the sense that on one hand I feel, oh yeah, that's what I want to be like. I want to be someone who doesn't judge others, who's self-critical but equally secure, who is faithful in my relationships, who returns love when I'm hurt, who's humble, who desires good, who walks with God in all things. I think, yeah, that's what I want to be like. And yet there is always that moment where we say, actually, but then how does it become real for us? How do we actually become like this? If this is how God wants us to be, how do we get there? How does it move from being what God wants for us, a kind of lofty goal, to being what we are actually like? The reality. The answer, Jesus says, is to pray. I'm going to unpack that. The answer is to pray. And we're going to read from several bits of the Bible. I've included some readings from the Old Testament, the writings that came before Jesus to set the scene, and some later writings to Jesus' earliest followers, reflecting on what this teaching means in practice. So, if you've got a Bible, open it to uh, Matthew 7 and verse 7. It's on page 971. I would keep your finger there, because that's where we're going to be concentrating. I put it on the screen. I know the Bibles aren't easy for everyone to handle. uh, But I do encourage you to have a, a paper Bible if you can. Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to your children? Give good, good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, and then I'm going to read for some uh, uh, verses and passages in the Old Testament that sort of speak to the context that Jesus is talking into. They give the background to this. So first I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 29. If you want to find it in your Bible, it's on page 789. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 10, which is on page 780. Jeremiah is talking to the people who, uh, people of Israel, ancient times before Jesus was born, about 500 years before Jesus was born. And he's saying to them, or God is saying to them through Jeremiah, that there will come a time when their enemies will attack the land and they will be taken away. Uh, because the people are abusing the poor, they're not listening to God, they're doing terrible things. And so God has basically withdrawn from their country and withdrawn his protection from them in order that they can learn that what they're doing is wrong. And God then makes a promise to the people that that won't last forever. And this is what he says in verse 10 of chapter 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, so in other words, you'll be in exile in Babylon for 70 years, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And then we're going to read from John chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus again, just before he dies, a day before he dies. If you're interested in finding John 14, this is on page 1081. Uh, 82 rather. Jesus says to those who follow him, these words, reading from verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's good to read about how these verses were understood, how this instruction was understood by the earliest Christians. So let's read from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. James was Jesus' brother, and he wrote a letter to the churches. Actually, interestingly, just as Heather was sharing a testimony for how God... 
uh, how coming to know Jesus changed a prisoner from being someone who attacked people and used violence against them to being someone who stood up for people and suffered violence for them. Remarkable change uh, that goes on in prison uh, for amongst people who meet Jesus. Uh, so to James, Jesus' brother actually had a similar experience. If you read the Gospels in the uh, life, during Jesus' life, James and his brothers actually tried to trick Jesus into going into a place where a mob was going to attack him. You can read about that in uh, the middle chapters of John. They were, not only didn't believe in him, they tried to persuade him to go to somewhere where people were going to hurt him. After Jesus died and rose again, Jesus appeared to James and uh, James was so transformed by this idea of his brother had risen from the dead that he became the leading minister of the biggest church in the world. Uh, he led the first mega church. You can read about that in Acts. And uh, he wrote this uh, verses to churches that he was pastoring and wanted them to understand what Jesus had been teaching. So James wrote this. This is chapter 4 of James. It's on page 1215. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then finally, I'm going to read from Jesus' best friend. This is uh, 1 John. If you're wondering why I tend to have five readings, partly it's because it's good to read from the Bible. That's what uh, Paul instructed Timothy to do, to read from the Bible. But also I spend the week then unpacking these. This is what I do in the devotions each day, is that I unpack what's going on in each one of these readings and offer some uh, helps to meditating on them. 1 John 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. That's deep. I always offer a, a one sentence or two sentence summary of what I'm saying. So you can take this and go home and summarize it to anyone who's not been at church with you or if you want to write down a heading this is what the heading is. Persistent prayer brings enormous blessings for those who want to follow Jesus. Persistent prayer brings enormous blessings for those who want to follow Jesus. Persistent prayer brings enormous blessings for those who want to follow Jesus. Turn back to Matthew 7, if you moved away from it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, 
we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then know you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have done do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The key to receiving the life that God desires for each one of us, the key to becoming like Jesus, is prayer. The key to receiving a life of grace and peace and joy is prayer. Uh, fundamentally, uh, this is central to, our, to who we are in Christ. Prayer is the key because all God's blessings are a gift. In other words, we can't become as Jesus wants us to be. We can't overcome anxiety and depression. We can't uh, live lives of forgiveness and hope. We can't live lives of love for others. We can't forgive our enemies without God giving us the ability to do so. It's not simply a case of work harder and you will make it. But there is hard work involved. It is hard to do these things. But that's not the key. The key is God giving us himself and changing us from the inside. When St. Luke uh, records Jesus, Jesus preaching this talk in a different location, so Jesus had a talk, he went round and gave it in different places. He Luke's version of this, in Luke's version of this, Jesus uh, doesn't use the word good gifts. He actually talks about the Holy Spirit. How much will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much will, those, uh, will God breathe in those who ask him the life that changes them from the inside? Only God can change us and make us as we're meant to be. And we need to be humble enough to ask for help and be willing to receive it. I was trying to think of ways to illustrate this. The importance of communicating with someone to get what you desire. Uh, this is, uh, I like this cartoon. Uh, she's at uh, dinner with her husband, who is a mime artist, and she says, I never understand what you're trying to say. And uh, it's a joke, obviously, about the fact that uh, he's not saying anything. He's a mime artist. Uh, what about this one? This is good. Uh, when at a loss for words, Colin would often resort to communicating through the medium of contemporary dance. <laughs> now, they're silly. They're silly illustrations, but they're making a serious point, which is that if we desire something from God, if we desire God himself, we have to be willing to communicate with him. That we give good gifts to those who we are in a relationship with. There's a humility in that. There's a humility on our part in being willing to come to God and say, actually, I am not able to do this myself. I need your spirit. I need you to give this to me. I want to be able to forgive my enemies. I want to be able to, to stop being judgmental. I, I want to be able to be committed to my husband or my wife. I want to overcome my depression. I, there's a humility in saying, I need help. Help me. And until we're willing to accept that and to express it, we can't receive what God has to give us. Uh, one of the great things that's come out of uh, Christian uh, discipleship, and particularly John Wesley's emphasis on continually coming together in groups and asking about how it is with our soul and walking with God together, is Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous. Those things are directly 
They're Christian organisations that shoot off from John Wesley's movement. The very first step in recovering from something that, that breaks us from the inside is to accept that we need help. Unless we have the humility to accept that we need help and to ask for that help, we can't receive it. Now, Jesus is interesting here because he, he says the problem is not with God. I wonder whether if we have meditated on these verses or thought about prayer at all, this is my guide to the sermon, so if you want to write it down the sermon, this is what's going to happen. We can, we can get this idea that we need to knock and knock and knock and knock because God is not willing to answer. Right, that God is waiting to be forced to answer. And Jesus says that's not true at all. He says God is generous and good and longs to give us his spirit, longs to give us good gifts, longs to make us like Jesus. God wants to fill us. He wants to transform us. I mean, God would be pretty, I mean, God is pretty weird anyway, right? Because he's an incomprehensible creator of the universe. If you imagine that God is simple and you've understood him, I'm sorry, you've made a mistake somewhere. He's beyond any human understanding. Um, amusingly, uh, Richard Dawkins has got a new book out this week, which is even more embarrassingly incoherent than his previous one. And uh, one of the problems that he has is that he can only imagine God being like everything else. So he has this chapter in his book, which, which is, he is sort of trumpeted as a triumph of his reason. He says, God is basically just like a big person and therefore must have evolved over time and therefore could not have been at the beginning. At which point, everybody who's ever thought about this for more than five minutes scratches their heads and says, you do understand that God isn't like a big person, right? That's literally what no one believes in the world. If your idea of God is that he's somehow like a big grudging person in the sky waiting to be persuaded to give in to you, if you can find the right words, then Jesus' answer is, you haven't understood God at all. You haven't understood God at all. He's not like that. God is actually longing to, to answer prayer. God is actually longing to give us his spirit, longing to fill us, longing to change us. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, if God didn't really want to transform the world, why on earth would Jesus have died for it? Right? It'd be a pretty weird thing to do, to say, I love you all so much that I'm going to die for you, but I don't really want to give you the good things that I've offered you. Jesus says God longs to answer prayer. He longs to give joy or peace or patience or power or forgiveness or hope. Because it's in his nature to give those things. He says, imagine a human father, a good human father, and when his son comes to him, he says, can I have something to eat, daddy? And he says, yes, here's a stone. Ha, 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 Aren't I big and you're small? He says, can I have some fish for dinner? He says, yes, here's a snake. Ha, 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 ha. Aren't I big and you're small? He says, God isn't like that at all. He says, if you, even though you're selfish and tiny, know how to give good gifts when your children ask you, how much more will God give Good gifts to those who ask him. God is longing to answer prayer, particularly for the things Jesus talks about. But we have to come and ask. Because we have to humble ourselves and say, actually, we need those things. We need you to give it to us. And we're willing to receive them. See, that's actually the key to understanding something else that's going on in these verses that disappears a little bit in English. It says, ask and it will be given to you and and seek and you will find or search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you 
render them literally, Jesus is saying, ask and go on asking. Seek and go on seeking. Knock and go on knocking. Has the effect of, of recommending persistence. Persistent prayer is the key. You see what I did there with this, uh, with my peas. I enjoyed that. Persistent prayer is the key, but persistent prayer is the key. Why? Because it's humbling. Because it's really coming to God and, and accepting and learning that calling on God is the way that we live our lives. That we live our lives in relationship with him. In dependence on him. Prevailing and being changed in the process. We're learning to work with him, to be transformed. Persistent prayer is the key, partly because it, it, it marks out what we really want from what we think we want, or what we want on a whim. Um, I can't speak for anyone else, but my uh, children ask me for all sorts of things. What is an interesting thing is that I tend to say no the first few times they ask. I'm not talking about food now. (laughs) That would be abusive. Can I have a brand new slinky, Daddy? Because I've been playing with a slinky for the morning. Can you give me a fiver for a brand new slinky? Can I have the Lego set I saw in Garson's farm? Abby, can I have sparkly tights today? Can we go to the shop and buy me some new sparkly tights? Because I like sparkly tights today. And you say, well, actually, no, Abby, we can't do that today. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. And you have school. The interesting thing for me is to find out what they then come back to me a week later and repeat. Have we gone to the shops and bought the sparkly tights yet, Daddy? Well, no, Abby, it's still school. If she comes back the third week and says, Daddy, I really long for sparkly tights, then I say, well, let's think about what your birthday presents are going to be. Whereas the slinky hasn't made an appearance since the first morning it was asked for. What am I doing there? Well, I'm sifting to find out what my children really want. Do they really actually want this or not? Do they really actually want this or not? Why would God do that? Well, partly it's because it's fitting for the things that he's, asked, he's offering us. God is offering us eternal life. He's offering us to be transformed to be like Jesus. That isn't a small thing. It isn't something you can ask for on a whim. You know, if Abby says to me, Daddy, can I have 10p for some sweets? I might say yes. If she says to me, Daddy, can I have the Lego Death Star, which costs four to five hundred pounds, depending on which shop you're in, I will want to know that she really wants that, and then we might have to work out how it's going to be for birthday and Christmas for the next three years. It's worth a lot, So actually, I want to know she's serious about it. What Jesus is offering is not trivial. In a sense, this is the reverse of what I think preachers are tempted to do. I'm tempted all the time to stand up and say, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, it's amazing. He's longing to bless you, he's longing to give this to you, he's longing to do this for you. Just open the door, he's standing at the door knocking, he's been there all night knocking, 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 knocking. If only he'd open the door. And I make Jesus out to be desperate. For you. Now, Jesus is desperate for you. He died for you. He loves you so much. But my friends, what he's offering is actually worth significantly more to you than it is to him. Sometimes we need to persist in prayer because we need to work out, are we actually serious about this or not? Jesus is offering us the gift of eternal life. 
The gift of life with meaning, of peace with God, of finding our significance in a universe that's ultimately indifferent to us, absent God. He's offering us to be part of the thing that's done more to transform the world than any other human movement in history by a country mile. He's offering us to be part of a spiritual revolution and to be kings and queens in heaven. It's worth an enormous amount. So I think God is justified in saying, do you really want it? Do you really want it? Or is this just another whim? And there's a third thing. A third reason why God might ask us if we really want it. And that's because the consequences can be bad for our lives. Now I'm going to qualify what I mean by that. If you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you become loving, you want to know if you really love your enemies when they persecute you, the chances are at some point you're going to come across someone who is horrible to you. Why? Because you're going to show the love of Christ to them. If you want to know purpose and meaning in your lives, if you want to overcome evil and darkness and despair and become like Jesus, the road that he will lead you down is one where you are going to have to walk the road Jesus led. Walked. Those who become like Jesus follow Jesus. And following Jesus means following him through hard times. Jesus said, those who come after me must pick up their cross and follow me. Now we use that kind of flippantly, like, uh, it's my cross to bear that my neighbour is a little bit difficult. It's my cross to bear that if anything I'm just too good looking. My cross to bear that I am so good at football that I I can't find a team to play for because no one's quite as good as me, but that's my cross to bear. It's my cross to bear that I don't sleep quite that well. When Jesus was saying to his disciples, follow me, I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit, baptise you with the Holy Spirit, but you must pick up your cross. What he meant was, I'm going to die, and the chances are that you will too. Come after me. It's one of the, the great apologetics for the early, early rise of Christianity, interestingly, is that we get this anachronistic view because we look at the Pope and stuff. We think, oh, that's a big palace. Of course they wanted to become Christians. It's a road to power. Literally every single one of Jesus' disciples was martyred, executed, or imprisoned of the twelve. The obvious exception of Judas, who committed suicide. So not really a winner. The people Jesus is saying, God will give good gifts to you. He will transform your lives were transformed. They changed the world. They have a claim to being the twelfth, the second through thirteenth most influential people in history. Well, number one is Jesus, comfortably the most influential man in history. Numbers two through thirteen, his disciples, right? Because they founded the church. The church has changed the world. God did give them good gifts. They experienced love and hope and peace. They prayed for their enemies. They stood before kings and counsellors and said, I'm declaring to you the love of God. They healed the sick. God gave them good gifts. But they walked a path of suffering with those gifts. And so Jesus says, ask and go on asking. Knock and go on knocking. Seek and go on seeking. Because if you get these things, you're going to have to love your enemies. And it's going to be hard. 
If you get the gift of grace and patience, you're going to have to deal with people who are horrible and mean and just go on being that way. And you're going to have to love them like Jesus. And many of them will be saved. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, like John Wesley was filled with the Holy Spirit in 1738. You're going to have to go into towns and villages where they will, they will drive bulls at you. And you'll look round for the magistrate and say, who will save me from it? And realise he's the one with the whip in his hand, driving the bull onwards. And you will change your nation. And you will revolutionise the West. And you will set in system a, a, a set of groups that will, will set people free from alcoholism and narcotics and change their lives for the better. And you will revolutionize America and you will lead to Pentecostalism that's the fastest growing religious movement in the world. John, your life will change the world. I will fill you with your Holy Spirit. I will give you good gifts. And for the first 50 years of your life, everyone will hate you. Can you see now why God says, actually, I, I want to know whether you really want this. Do you really want it? Do you really want it? It's not a case of, oh, Jesus is standing at the door. Just open, your, open the door to him and he will, he will come and he will bless you and you'll have cars and you'll have houses and you'll pray and say, God, give me my Lamborghini and you'll roar down the road. If you think that's what God is waiting to give you, then I'm sorry you're wrong. He's giving you something much better than that. But there's a cost. So he wants to know who really wants it. Actually, that's a key to read. If you read the Gospels, I really do encourage you, if you've never read the Bible before, pick up Mark's Gospel and read it. It takes about two hours to read through if you're somebody who reads regularly. It's very, very good. It's, uh, it's very fast moving. It's gripping. You'll come across Jesus. It's, you will do more to change your life than anything else you can do today is to pick up Mark's Gospel and read it from cover to cover. There's copies outside. Just grab one and take it with you. One of the things you'll notice is that Jesus spends his whole time saying, are you sure you want to come? Religious leaders aren't supposed to do that. They're supposed to go around saying, please come to me and give me your money. Jesus is like, just go away. Unless you're really serious, go away. Because the gift is invaluable, but the life is going to be hard. That's why we need power. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So persistent prayer is the key. Practical persistent prayer is the key. I like that. Practical persistent prayer is the key. Brings us to the final point. God gives us what is good, which sounds amazing, and it is. I've touched on this already. But what God is giving us is the ability to love others. Right? That's fundamentally what God is giving us. Power from the Holy Spirit to heal the sick is to love others by healing the sick. Power from the Holy Spirit to prophesy, that's to speak what God is thinking about a situation or a person in a way that they couldn't otherwise know. His power to encourage and exhort and build up. Power to forgive is power to bring healing and reconciliation. God gives us what is good, not necessarily what we want. Now this is a one that I think we struggle with a little bit. Certainly I struggle with a little bit. God gives us what is good, not necessarily what we want. Jesus is not giving us a blank slate to ask for anything we like, for any reason we like, and assuring God will give it to us. 
Now, the obvious example is my desire for a Lamborghini. But it might be something where we think, actually, what good can come out of this? I just want God to release me from this. I'm having a really hard time, and I just cannot understand why I'm not healed immediately. God says in Jesus, he will give good gifts to those who ask him. But actually, maybe he's working something through the situation you're in you don't know. God gives us what's good for us. Your will be done, we say. Not my will be done. It's actually, in the King James Version, it says, thy will be done. I always like to say, thy will be done, not my will be done. That's actually the difference between magic and prayer. I don't know if you've given any thought to this. I have. Magic is an attempt to control the spiritual world and get what you want by saying the right words. And we can treat prayer as if it's like that. If I find exactly the right form of words, I'll get whatever I want. That's magic. Prayer is coming to God and saying, Lord, I trust you. I think this is good. I think this is what you want. Please do it. But ultimately, your will be done, not mine. I'm not God. I don't understand all the implications of every decision for every person through human history. So who am I to say how prayer should be answered? We're coming to God and asking for what's good. Now there requires a measure of trust there. And actually that's why Jesus spends his time assuring us who God is. Our relationship with God in prayer is fundamentally rooted in our understanding of who God is. Because we have to trust him. God is good and he loves us and he gives us good gifts. So we can trust him. God is like Jesus. So we can trust him. That's why God said through Jeremiah to the people who were going into exile a long way away, he said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to destroy. So although this really bad thing is happening at the moment, I need you to trust me that my plan for you is good. And I will bring good. And if you're going through a really dark and suffering time at the moment, God's plan for you is good. He will walk with you through this valley and he has a plan to bring you out to a sunlit upland. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you, my God, are with me. After you finish, Mark, go and read the rest of Psalm 23 because it speaks of a land beyond the valley. A land of joy in the presence of God. God's plan for you is good. And he knows how to walk with you in it. Secondly, if we want to experience God's blessing in our lives, we need to be seeking to live the way Jesus teaches. This is the practical thing. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, ask for it and ask because you want to do to others what you would have them do to you. In other words, love others. God empowers us, he gives us good gifts so that we can live for others, not so that we can ask selfishly. There's actually stories about this in the book of Acts, if you want to read it. One is a story in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, with someone who said to the disciples, I want you to make me able to give the Holy Spirit to people. And all he ever did was he wanted profit, he wanted money. God will not fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will not give you good gifts so that you can profit from others. He blesses us in order that we can bless others. Such a comment is found in most religious traditions, never in this form. This is unique to Jesus. 
Everyone else, from the rabbis to the other um, the Hindus, have a something similar where they have it, they put it in negative terms. Basically, don't do to other people what you don't want them doing to you. In other words, first do no harm. Now that's good. That's the wisdom of God in other religious traditions. That's great. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't just don't harm them. Do to them everything you want done to you. So don't just, in a sense, if someone's got no food or got very little food, we can say to one another, first, don't take away the food he has. And that's where the world stops. But Jesus says, no, I want you to feed them. If you were in that situation, you would want food, so you feed them. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to receive good gifts from God? Set your heart to bless others. Actually, that's true for anything we want in prayer. If we're asking for a selfish reason, God may give it to us out of grace. But very often, we need to work out why we're asking for something. Application, then first of all, come to Christ. If you don't know Jesus yet, if he's not your Lord and your Savior, then come to him, give your life to him, be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Second, ask God what to pray for. He wants you to pray. Ask him what you should be praying for, who you should be praying for, which change in character we should be praying for. Third, plan to pray. Plan to pray. Prayer will not just happen. If you value anything in life, you have to plan for it. Okay, I didn't, when I used to have to commute into work, I didn't just end up at work every, because every day I got up in the morning and thought, oh, I, I fancy getting the seven o'clock train today. It might take me there. We don't get the kids to school because we eight twenty-five every day. I think, oh, I just fancy fighting with Abby to make her get her shoes on. And then why don't we just wander down towards the school and maybe we'll meet some of our friends and they might walk into a classroom. And we plan. There's an elaborate system of alarms to wake me up. There is a plan for when we need to get our shoes and we need to get out. If you want to learn to pray, and I want to learn to pray, plan to pray. I'm going to set aside 10 minutes at lunchtime or 10 minutes in the morning. I'm going to name the time. I'll even name the place. I would do it with anyone else. If I want to meet you for lunch, we don't just say, well, maybe we'll end up in the same cafe in the same city at the same time. If I happen to think about it. I plan. Plan to pray and then persist in prayer. Keep on praying. You might find that the thing you started off praying about never comes. But actually that your life has been so filled with other stuff that you forget what it was you were praying about in the first place. That's another thing that happens very often. God gives us good gifts and he expects us to do the same for others. Persistent prayer brings enormous blessings for those who want to follow Jesus.